Okay, well, word on the street is that y'all have been forgetting to tell two friends. I've been looking at the numbers. You know, the numbers are good. The, I, I am pleased with the numbers. But ha, there's been a slight, would, slight upward trajectory. But still, there's not enough of you telling two friends. If you listen to this podcast, you need to hashtag tell two friends. Tell two friends. Have a good time. Enjoy this podcast. I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. Would you like to come upstairs for some coffee? No, no, thank you. I can't drink coffee later than that. It keeps me up. All right, we are take two again. The second podcast in a row where I've forgotten to press record. Thankfully, this time it was two minutes in rather than when I was with the World Brister champion, Anthony, when I was like 15 minutes in. So that was a bit embarrassing. Um, so sorry about that, Simon. Uh, but we were, we were getting really hot there. But that was a good warm-up. Yeah, it was good, yeah. It was, it was yeah. a great warm-up. It's perfect. I always feel like it sort of gives me a bit of extra mojo. So maybe I should forget or maybe just put a sign up, Kirk, press the goddamn record button. Yeah, maybe it's that or maybe it's the wine. I don't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, we are on the wines. But we had, we had like a really good croissant section there. But we'll, we'll get to the croissant part later. And then, and then you know, we'll just get through the podcast first. Um how do you say your name in French again? Simon? Gauterin. Gauterin. All right. So we're with Simon Gauterin, French pronunciation. Gauterin. Um, had a nice little line before about your old Instagram handle, Barista Simon. So you've had a rebrand on Instagram. So you're now known as Simon Gauterin. That's right. Yeah, a couple of years ago. And the Chinese Barista Champion of 2021, I think it's him, uh, now is Barista Simon. So he's taken that handle yeah, I saw up. that one. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. Good on him. So, but no cross pollination here. If you want the real Brewster Simon, it's Simon Gotterin. And you know, I shouldn't say that because, of course, he's a real Brewster Simon. Good on him too. Um, how you been? Good man. Mm. Really good. Mm. Yeah. In Melbourne for uh, for a couple of days. Yep. You know, um, seem to be coming here quite a lot these days. Yeah. So, yeah. Loving it, mate. We'd lo- love to have you. So you're usually in Sydney. Yeah, based in Sydney. I live in Bondi. You know, sunny Bondi by mm. the beach. Yep. And uh, right now, I'm in. Um, the eastern part of Melbourne under the rain, and it's 14 degrees. I have a name for this place that we're in, which is my house, my apartment. Yeah. Um, Sub-Zero Palace, I call it. All right, in the Sub-Zero Palace. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if you've got any other name suggestions, I'm, I'm open to it, but uh, right now Sub-Zero Palace is the one. Um, okay, let's get into it. Let's go. How did you come to be in specialty coffee? So I, I've always drank um quite a lot of coffee ever since uh ever since i was i was young so i probably started drinking coffee at the age of 17 18 my my dad's always been making this french press in the morning always drinking black coffee every single morning it was sort of like a morning ritual for him he'd make a french press with um, espresso ground coffee like italian roast like but let's not get into that Mm -hmm. but it was always a ritual and I've always drank black coffee. I've never drank coffee with sugar. I've never drank coffee with milk. Um, always been on the hard shit. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And I think it's a, also a very French thing to drink uh, black coffee with no sugar and with no milk. We drink those really disgusting um, Robusta espressos um, in cafes and bistros and restaurants. They're not very tasty, but everyone drinks them. And that's, that's what we call coffee, right? Mm-hmm. So I've always drank coffee, and then one day... After I finished my my bachelor degree, I I got into a, a coffee shop that a friend introduced me to, and I remember they had different coffees from different origins, and they had different varieties. And I tried a few of them, like I bought a few bags and started brewing coffee at home. And 
And I, I realized that, yeah, coffees from different origins tasted different. And that kind of made sense because, you know, you see that in wine, you know, mm. Italian wines, French wines, like Australian wines, it tastes different. And, but it, with coffee somehow, like, you know, the, the origin wasn't always mentioned. And I kind of like caught my attention. It really, it really triggered something in me where I was like, okay, wow. Like different coffees taste widely different. Do you remember what that store was called? Do you want to name drop them? Give them a plug? Yeah, yeah. So there's, that store is called uh, La Caféotech. It's a store in Paris. And I think it's actually the oldest French coffee shop. Um, and I remember back then, that was in 2014, they had 17 different coffees available. That's well ahead of their times. Like I think I'm cool when I do like 12 coffees or, you know, whatever. Yep. But, you know, 2014, 17 coffees. Yeah, none of them frozen, uh, however. But yeah, a lot of different coffees available and that made them super special because most cafe would have like, you know, one or two coffees. And just out of curiosity, your bachelor's degree was in what, sorry? In uh, business administration. Yep. So I studied business. Did you, growing up, did you want to be some sort of businessman or yeah, entrepreneurial? Yeah, actually, the, the funny thing when, when you study business, at least in Europe, is, is it seems to be a lot of people that study business that just don't know what they want to be doing afterwards and mm -hmm. they just study business as a you know default studies because it's quite broad. But I've always, I've always known that I wanted to do business. I've always been quite entrepreneurial. When I was younger, I, I had a few like businesses here and they're like small gigs, buying you know Pokemon cards, selling them when I was younger and then uh, did the same thing with other collectibles. Um, and then, you know, I started tutoring when I was in high school and I was doing that like, you know, quite active in was making a good income out of it. So I've always been really into the business side of things. So it was quite an evidence for me to do business. Mm. Um, and turns out I do, I mean, I do very little with business now. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I've got a degree in journalism and uh, now I make coffee. I mean, we do the oh, podcast. podcast. So it's yeah, kind it's of, close kind enough, of applicable, yeah. but, And then I started studying economics last year, but still coffee. Fascinating stuff, though. I want to ask a little bit about your Pokemon cards. Sure. Are you a collector? Are you an avid collector? I I do. Yeah, I'm. I mean, mostly I don't really collect Pokemon cards, but I invest in them. Yeah, you invest in them. Yeah, I invest. When yeah, was right. the last time you bought a Pokemon card? Uh, probably like a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, not cards. I buy sealed products. So you know, an unopened uh, booster packs, and I let them age in uh, in the cellar next to the wines. And I, you know, plan on selling them a couple of years later. So I've been doing that for for a very long time, actually. Wow. <laughs> Do you, have you got like Pokemon cards that you've opened that are in the slips that like are visible and like? Yeah, yeah, a few. A ha few. Have you got that? The have Charizard. you got the, have you got the Charizard? Yeah, I do, I do have a Bullshit. few. Not the first edition one, yeah. Not the, you know, insanely expensive. But I do have a few uh, a few premium stuff, yeah. So if Jake or Logan Paul are watching, they could... Yeah. Have, you, do, do, have you seen their Pokemon yeah, card antics? Yeah, uh, he's next level, yeah. Yeah, so he, he pays a pretty penny. So Jake, Logan, if you're watching, or listening rather, Simon has the goods. I, I, I'm into it. I, like, yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> are you are you up to date with all of the latest Pokemon? Like, you, you I have no idea. No, I, I I mean I was a fan when I was a kid, and I just I just uh, figured it was a good um, investment to to buy Pokemon stuff because one day because you and I grew up with you know Pokemon cards when we were younger, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and one day we'll have kids, and then one day you know our generation is going to have a bit of money, and and we'll be you know, we'll have this nostalgia of the old days, and mm -hmm. we'll be looking for those. OG packs and and you know there there's going to be a bunch of people ready to drop some some real dollars onto those packs. What kind of child were you thinking so far ahead, thinking, oh, I'm going to buy these? <laughs> it's funny. I I remember, and my parents remind me of that. I remember when I was 10, 12, telling my parents, 
that w- they should be buying those those packs and just like let them age for 20 years because one day my generation would have money and this would be worth a lot of I'm, money. I'm just looking at, I'm just imagining this like Simon daughter and it's like the, the modern, so the 2022 real estate agent, but like you back when you were 10, slick back hair, coming, to work, coming back home in a blazer, dad, mom, I've got this brilliant investment opportunity for you. Pretty you should much. be buying these Pokemon decks. Yeah, no one, no one believed in that back then and now I think yeah, we all regret it because we, we could have all retired. But anyways, <laughs> Look, give me give me another minute and a half here on the Pokemon subject, but we'll get back to the coffee. But I still played the games, so oh up until you. the fourth generation. So there was the sort of, I think the first one was Kanto, then it was Johto region, then it was was it Hoenn after that? I I honestly don't know. Yeah, I think it's the <laughs> Hoenn region, then the Sinnoh region, and you're I'm up to date. Too yeah, well, well, with the first four, uh, the Black, the White, Sword, Shield, X, Y, yeah, 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 Sun and Moon. I haven't played that, but up until the first four smashed them and i've actually got a nintendo switch with a, a shiny pearl and a mega ruby and like wow. I, I love playing the pokemon games nice. like i don't play any video games anymore except these pokemon. ones yeah yeah and you know the occasional call of duty but um all right <coughs> coffee um was there a particular so we, we got on to sort of how you got into it you're fascinated by the regions was there a particular coffee that you got after a few that you're like holy cow man i um, i can't I can't remember of like, one specific cup of coffee. I know there's a lot of people that you know fall in love with coffee the first time they try an Ethiopian or the first time they try an anaerobic natural. I think for me it was um, I can't I can't quite uh, pinpoint a specific origin or a specific lot. I just remember trying a few coffees that had acidity in them, and I think taste um, experiencing acidity in coffee was something new. Um, which is not something that you'd get from commodity coffees. Yep. So, um, you know, experiencing acidity for the first time and having finishing a cup of coffee that doesn't leave this ashy, smoky aftertaste uh, was also quite enjoyable. So, um, no, I think it was a series of small experiences like that that made me realize, well, coffee isn't just coffee. Mm. And, um, and what I think really got me into it is when I bought several bags and I started brewing them at home, I, I could figure out that from one day to another, the coffee was tasting widely different. Because back then, I mean, I wasn't using scales. I think no one was <laughs> using scales in 2014. But Joseph Brodsky with it. <laughs> exactly. It was ahead of time, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, no, one, no one was using scales. And, uh, and yeah, so obviously it was inconsistent. And it got, really, it got me really into, you know, wondering why coffee was tasting different every single day and deep diving into the whole world of brewing. Mm. And brewing is a marvelous, magnificent world that you've ex- explored quite a lot. I'm interested to uh, in to know. So your experience, you know, what what were the first, what were the jobs that you did up until you started? Work- I think you're best known in Australia for working for Toby's Estate. Yeah. What were you doing up until you sort of moved to Australia and did that? So I moved in Australia in twenty in twenty sixteen um, to do my master's degree in uh, at the University of Sydney, and I did uh, a master's degree in business and management, international uh, management. And I was working as a part-time barista at the time because I had recently discovered coffee, so in 2014, and I learned how to make coffee back in Paris, then moved to Australia. I was studying, and I needed to make a bit of money because how the studies in Australia, postgrad studies are really expensive, so mm, <laughs> I had yeah. to pay for that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I was just working on the weekends um, as a part-time barista. I did that for two years and after that, I had the opportunity to work for strategy consulting companies. So, you know, th- no, best known as the big four. Because um, that's basically what everyone in our masters was doing after that, just going for a 
the, big the big four banks. Yeah. yeah. So the biggest uh, banks in Australia. Not banks, but um, consulting, strategy consulting firms. Is that like Ernst & Young, KPMG? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the McKinsey, uh, Bain, etc. So um, I, again, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that, this kind of work. I enjoyed uh, strategy and I enjoyed consulting. I enjoyed problem solving because that's, I think that's what we eventually get, you know, got trained um, to do in our studies. Problem solving. So taking complex problems breaking them down and finding creative solutions to those problems. What's an example of this, like just out of curiosity? I could be, I'll give you a very concrete example. It's a case that we worked on, but it could be um, company, you know, this this wine, this Riesling that we're uh, drinking right now wants to enter um, a new market. What are the different ways to enter this new market? Like, so let's say they want to start selling in, um, in Southeast Asia. Um, what's the best way for them to start entering this market and what are the different options and ponder those different options. It could also be um, this beer manufacturer wants to start opening a brewery in uh, a new continent because shipping is expensive. What's the best way to open a brewery and how do we make that happen? So you got to look at the sort of legislation in those parts, you know, the workers. Yeah, I mean, costs. Get a lot of data Exactly, well, yeah, yeah. You, you talk to experts in the area as well, so you have to work closely with people who are experts in the, in the industry. You're not necessarily an expert yourself, but you surround yourself with experts and you gather the information to make a decision or to formulate a recommendation for the company. It uh, sounds like a lot of qualitative data would be required for this sort of work. Yes, no. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. So uh, obviously, you re heavily rely on data in that in that sense. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I uh, I was basically uh, destined to to work in that area, and I I you know I was really enjoying those barista gigs on the weekends, like those those shifts that I was doing, mm. and I I thought. You know why not just give it a go in coffee and start something in you know start a try try a coffee career try to do something in coffee because uh, if it you know if I didn't do it back when I was twenty five I would probably not do it afterwards. How old are you now? Uh, I'm thirty. Okay. Yeah, uh, turning thirty one early next year. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was like, well, you know, if I'm gonna try some to do something, you know, that's um, that's like a passion job. Might as well try it now because I feel like if I settle into a a high paid job in a corporate world, um, if I start climbing the ladder, it's going to be much harder to stop afterwards. So I was like, let's try, let's give it a go with this whole coffee thing. And if it doesn't work, then I can... You've always, always got your Pokemon it. cards to yeah, exactly. fall back I on. Mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's your retirement fund right there. Yeah, exactly. I withdrew all my superannuation to buy Pokemon cards, basically. <laughs> Have you actually? <laughs> I did, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> At the start of COVID, yeah, I did. Um, but anyways, yeah, yeah, I thought it might, was, might as well give it a go. And <laughs> I quickly realized that... Um, I, when I wanted to get information about coffee and learn about coffee, there wasn't much available online back then, you know, 2015 to 2017. Um, there wasn't a whole lot online. And uh, the information was contradictory, was, you know, uh, quite hard to digest, or it was a little bit inaccurate. And I thought there was a, a pretty huge gap in, in that area. I thought, um, you know, coffee education could really improve. And I've always been fond of education, as I mentioned earlier. I, I used to do a lot of tutoring when I was in high school. Um, it's something that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed seeing students improve and, you know, get better grades and just enjoy a specific subject better. Um, so I used to tutor a lot in um, mathematics, English, and Spanish when I was younger. And uh, you have español? Sí, claro. <laughs> Casi perfectamente, pero... Yeah, well... I don't know what you just said, but... <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> I could say anything. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I enjoy I enjoy this uh, the education side of things, and I thought coffee really needed that. 
I also saw that a lot of people were coming into Sydney wanting to work in coffee and a lot of cafes were hiring, but then cafes only want to work. Uh, they only want people with experience and then everyone wants to get their first experience and there's this huge you know, gap that needs, to be, that needs to be bridged between cafes looking for staff and people looking to work in cafes. So what I did is um, I started a business in uh, barista training back in two fa- end of 2017, start of 2018. Um, business called First Shot Barista Training, where my goal was to provide basic barista training for people to get their first job as baristas in the coffee industry. This is a particularly relevant field because we're going through a bit of a um, oh, bit of an employment crisis mm-hmm. in Australia, where we can't get enough staff. Um, you know, diagnostics for which you know I, I won't get into that, but where there really is so many more jobs available than there are people to fill them. I actually put it on my Instagram the other day. I want to be a sort of like a uh, employment matchmaker for people. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to be able to help some people get some jobs here. But I'm surprised. There's surprisingly little people available. Yeah, there's, there's a huge um, labour shortage in, in Australia, not just in hospitality, but in many fields. I mean, Australia has always sort of like heavily relied on um, immigrant workforce and there hasn't been... Is there's been nearly no immigration in the last three years because of COVID. Australia shut the borders and everything. But back then, there was a lot of backpackers. There's a lot of international students, a lot of people coming into Australia. So um, there was a lot more... I mean, there's, there's a lot of jobs, especially in hospitality. You have this high turnover um, of jobs, but there was a lot more labor available. And right now, well, you, said you have this issue of there's n- no one to work in cafes and restaurants. You were saying to me, uh, and I, I want to sort of get into the, the nature, the specifics of that business that you had. You were saying to me off uh, off air before when we were ma- making some coffees, and you brewed me some beautiful coffees, and we'll touch on those in a bit later. Um, you were saying to me that you were able to, you were confident that you could train someone within one day and have them ready to work in a giant cafe. And for and for for those listening overseas, um, Australia's got a very heavily espresso focused culture. So it's mostly pretty much milk drinks that you yeah. that you make, and so and, and it's and it's tough to adjust, adapt. Like, um, so you had people who let's say and never touched a coffee machine, nev- never touched yep. a coffee machine, and you had them ready to work in a cafe. Yeah, within uh, within four to eight hours, basically. How? So we um, so that that was the whole the whole promise of that of that course of that business was. We'll teach you how to make coffee so you can get your first job um, as a barista. And obviously, like, you won't know everything and there's so much to know. And, you know, you could spend a whole life, um, a whole life, you know, learning about coffee. But you'll know enough to be able to make a few shots, to steam milk and pour milk into a beverage, know the different types of beverage and, you know, start making coffee. And obviously, you, you know, I mean, you won't you won't trick anyone into believing that you'd, you'd have years of experience as a barista, but you'd at least know the basics and, and you'd be able to progress very quickly. And uh, we were doing that by stripping a lot of the unnecessary training content and just focusing on the essentials, as in how to make espresso and how to steam milk and pour milk. So it was, you know, really, uh, we, you know, kept the essential and removed everything that was superflux and we went through heaps of rounds of practice and we always finished those trainings with a little like crush the rush exercise when I I send, you know, I send a bunch of coffee orders with the docket printer and you have to make all of them as quickly as possible. So we can 
focus on the analytical skills of you know how to put dockets together, how to group milks together, how to pair um, you know espresso shots and split them so that um, the baristas can be as efficient as possible and therefore ace their first trial. And we had we had a insanely high success rate. I think we had over ninety nine percent success rate because we trained over five hundred uh, people in um, in two years, and I think only five of them didn't get a job afterwards. Um, so wow, yeah, and I, it it's most likely due to other things than just pure coffee making skills because obviously yeah. it's not the only reason why you wouldn't get a job. You know, if you show up late to your trial, then <laughs> you're probably yeah. not going to get and it. I, I, what I find most surprising, what I find most interesting about that is that we, you're in an era where, you know, coffee, it's just progressively getting a lot more popular in all sort of fields, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in Australia. And I can't speak for other countries, but it, it's getting a lot more popular. A lot more people, I feel like, are starting to drink coffee sort of thing. And um, you're going through, you're in a time where sort of, yeah, there's a bit of innovation happening in the sort of tech space, but sort of a lot of it requires manual skills. So, I mean, it's uh, commendable to you that you were able to get that many people sort of employed. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I think um, the cool thing as well, I mean, and one of the things that I was uh, the most proud of is, so I was doing this business with a friend of mine. um, His name is Lee. Uh, He's originally, he was originally from Vietnam. And, um, and one of our big focus was obviously, um, foreign foreign uh, foreign students and foreign uh, workers that moved to Australia wanted to get a job in in, um, in in coffee or in hospitality and the the thing that I, I think we were the most proud of at the time was there's a lot of people that were coming to see us that were already working as uh, kitchen hands or dishwashers or um, or waiters and waitresses and they were getting paid you know 12 14 17 18 bucks an hour. Um, you know, because they didn't necessarily speak uh, English very well or because, you know, uh, a dishwasher was easily replaceable back then and kitchen hands uh, didn't get paid very well back in 2017. But um, what we were giving these people with through barista trainings is an opportunity to not only learn a skill, but also to get a higher paid job. So a lot of these people that were coming to see us, they used to get, you know, 14 bucks an hour, and all of a sudden, they could, um, you know, they could apply for barista shifts, barista jobs, getting paid twenty three to twenty five bucks an hour. For a lot of them, so for a lot of them, it was uh, life changing, and that's definitely something that we were super proud of. Being able to uh, provide people that didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of um, education or a lot of resources in Australia, immigrants mostly, the opportunity to get a decently paid job. So that was really awesome. No, well done to you. And that's a terrific sort of concept and great that you were able to execute it because I feel like a lot of people would sort of have that idea in mind, but the execution is not always there. And, you know, that probably goes back to some of your, you know, 10-year-old Slick Rick, you know, Pokemon card dealing sort of mindset <laughs> that you're able to sort of see it through. And then obviously you've done the master, two master's degrees? Yeah, double master's, yeah. Jesus Christ, mate, you're hogging up all the talent here. Um, but so, so, you, so you've done that. You're able to get through, um, get a lot of people employed. You've said that you, you know, you, you sort of reference your tutoring before. What, if I'm to ask you sort of in a sort of more deeper way, what is it specifically about educating people that you like? So that's a great question. I think the one thing that I I find amazing about education and knowledge is that it's it's kind of like a currency but it doesn't 
it doesn't disappear if you share it. So for example, if I sell you coffee, if I sell you a bag of roasted coffee, all of a sudden I don't have that bag of coffee anymore, but you have it. So it's a transaction where um, where basically, you know, we go from one unit of, co of, of coffee to one unit of coffee. There's no, it's just a transfer in value. But if, um, for example, I know how to make coffee and I teach you how to make coffee, then I still know how to make coffee, but all of a sudden you know how to make coffee. So we've multiplied that resource. Um, and it's, it, it is exponential. It is something that can be shared with thousands, if not millions of people around the world, just anything, not just coffee making, but just education in general. And, and anyone can benefit from it. And I think education for a lot of people can be life-changing because it, can, it allows you to have more freedom to do what you, you, know, you want to do. So I've always been really interested in the economic economic power of education, if that makes sense, like mm. the, the macroeconomics uh, potential and power of education. And my mom uh, was also a primary school teacher. So I think this this whole you know teaching uh, kind of thing was was. Uh, I think, and I think me. with that, it's like the early intervention stage as well. Like if you're educating Probably. someone from a young age or getting the right habits in at the start, you're setting them up for a lot of success later. I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I I I have to say I was very lucky growing up. Um, you know, having access to education. Both of my parents spoke English. Um, I traveled heaps when I was younger. So obviously, that's a huge advantage compared to someone who doesn't have that chance. And I think uh, education is the, I, I believe in social justice and, um, and I think, you know, life isn't always really fair. Um, and I have to say I, I was born really lucky. And I think education is one of the ways that we can uh, recreate a little bit more justice uh, in this world. So it's always been sort of like um, a, a big thing for me to um, you know, share knowledge and, and make it accessible for people. Now, we've spoken about how you were able to sort of the you know, in one day, AC trial sort of program mm -hmm. that you had implemented. You've just answered that question I've just asked you. I really think, and I, I sort of put, I put an Instagram post out the other day the, um, talking about this. I really think that in coffee, there is so much technology available now that the amount of training that you need to give a barista to be able to perform on a day, you know, it, it's not as much. Um, You're absolutely right. And so, and... This, this is the part about the employment crisis that we're sort of experiencing right now is that that confuses me, is that um, we've got more resources than ever before. There's still people out there looking for a job. It's just I think in Australia people can be, can be quite picky. Mm -hmm. You know, if they don't sort of pour a perfect latte on the trial shift, then, you know, it's not for them. Um, you know, I think that'll become less and less of an issue. But do you agree with me? Like we can, we 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 we're not really using the resources that we have effectively at the moment as an industry. I think yeah, I I agree. Um, I agree with. I remember seeing that post um, that you made, and I I agree with uh, the vast majority of it. Um, this is something that I've also observed in the last couple of years. Uh, there's a lot more technology now than when I learned how to make coffee eight years ago. Mm. Um, now we have automatic temping, as in mostly known as pop press. Um, that brings consistency. Uh, there is volumetric on every machine so that the amount of water that you use every single time is consistent. We have grinders that are insanely accurate and, are, and that can grind by weight, which means that you are you know, probably less required to use a scale every single time to weigh your shots. Mm -hmm. So you can consistently have the same amount of coffee, have the same amount of water, have machines that uh, apply pressure in a very consistent way 
and then you have automatic milk, uh, you know, heating systems and milk dispensers. Everything is automated, so there is no reason why, um, you know, it would be difficult to make coffee. Making coffee is is very easy. It was, I mean, making coffee has always been very easy, and I think that's one of the things that I've always insisted on. Um, making coffee is insanely simple. All we're doing is mixing water and coffee together, and it creates a beverage that's also called coffee. It's called brewed coffee, but we're just mixing two ingredients together. It, I saw you cooking your chili earlier. There's probably way more than two ingredients, and it took several of our, several hours to to make and cook. That's a lot more complicated. But when we're making coffee, it's really simple. It's only two ingredients. So coffee is simple to make, but it's incredibly complex to master because those two simple ingredients are insanely complex themselves. Coffee itself is very co- is very complex, and water itself is also very complex. So it makes it very simple to do, but insanely uh, difficult and complicated to master. So making coffee is easy. Yeah, we're not doing open heart surgery. And with the amount of technology that we have, even my grandmother can pull shots on the weekend. And she can, I reckon she could, put a, she could pour a heart uh, you know, with maybe 30 minutes of training. She could you know, sling cappuccinos behind the bar on a Sunday. Mm. So this is something that you know, automation has allowed us to to get and that's i haven't spoken about that before but um i was previously the head of training for toby's estates Mm -hmm. which is one of the largest specialty coffee roaster in australia and that's also one of the big thing that we've we've done with wholesale customers is leverage that technology leverage the automation so that we didn't you know cafes didn't need to rely on experienced baristas to make coffee anymore you all you have to do is just hit a series of numbers and you can confidently make you know serve those coffees knowing that they're going to be tasting good. Can I just say about sort of uh, Toby's estate as well? That's that's a coffee company that you know big coffee roaster, mm-hmm. very massive coffee roaster. Um, but I feel like they made one of the biggest brand turnarounds in specialty coffee I think I've ever seen. Like they you know went from being a coffee company where you know really anyone could probably buy it. Is that yep. a reasonable thing to say? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know. I think people like yourself, Carlos Escobar, uh, who who's just finished up with them as well. But also, they're still green buyer Charlotte Malaval and mm-hmm. head of coffee Nick have played a huge role in sort of turning around. Like, really, like now nowadays, you're one of the best. They're one of the best coffee roasters in Australia, mm-hmm. and it's like well, I'm glad that you're uh, you're saying that. Yeah, and, and <laughs> what what well, like behind the scenes, if if you're willing to sort of tell what 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 sort of some of the work that went into you collaboratively between you know the four of you i just mentioned and anyone else like to sort of make that sort of turn around uh are you talking about um image of the company image and then also quality like yeah. uh, like not i don't want to i don't want to sound like i'm roasting toby's here but like pre oh, no, i i agree then you know pre sort of 2019 I, w- I wouldn't have really drank yeah. any of their coffee fair enough yeah and uh nowadays you put it the monthly drops are some of the best i've ever seen it's yeah. like you know you could have a leader's day geisha village you know yeah, what what what's some of the? So I think uh, to to answer that question, yeah, the well quality and, and image are obviously obviously intertwined, um, and you would have a better a better perception of that company if it had obviously a higher quality. Now, quality has to there's two um, there's kind of two facets to quality. There's quality of coffee that you can buy, and there's quality that you coffee that you can uh, so that you can buy directly from the roaster, and there's quality of coffee that you would get from cafes using using that coffee. I think uh, back a couple of years ago, um, 
so the quality has increased on these two fronts, I think. And that's also part of what uh, has changed the company's uh, image and people's perception of it. The On one hand, the quality of the coffees that we were buying um, increased. We were buying better coffees and we were doing a better job at roasting them so we had a better raw product but on the other hand and I think that's what really transformed people's point of view about Turbies is we we spent a lot of time and a lot of efforts and credits to um, you know the entire team in the company for doing that but there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes in helping cafes do a better job at serving coffee and making coffee and be more consistent with it because if you you know walk um, if you walk across the street, go to the cafe next door, and you have a bad coffee experience, you know you're less likely to have a good image of that coffee roaster. So obviously, making sure that cafes that you work with do a great job serving your product is insanely important for the image of the company. And you've got quite a large amount of sort of like territory managers, I think you call a position yes. in, within that company yeah. as well. Like it's um, and, and they've been doing an amazing job at, uh, you know, making sure that they can support uh, cafe owners in uh, getting the best out of the product. And, uh, and you know, we've, we've seen that in the quality increasing. And it means, I mean, when quality increases in, in cafes that, you know, you work with as a coffee roaster, not only these customers are happier, you know, they're serving better coffee, but their volume is also naturally gonna mm-hmm. gonna increase because every specialty coffee roastery, at least in Australia, is based on the assumption that the better the final cup is, the more coffees you're gonna sell. This is why you know, you know ca- um, roasteries buy really good green and they put a lot of effort into roasting, but all of that work can be thrown by the window when the barista is not following the recipe or not cleaning the machine properly. So. By putting a lot of focus on making sure that cafes are insanely consistent and you know getting the best out of the product, um, you know we set them up for success. I, w- I want to sort of take this deeper into another level. So I want to s- I want to talk about training. Obviously, this is the education podcast, um, and I want to split it into the sort of the wholesale coffee roaster cafe and the home barista. Mm-hmm. So let's keep let's stay on the wholesale coffee yep. roaster side here. What more specifics dimes can you give us? You know, what, like what goes behind? So. You cre- did you create a syllabus for for Tobias? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. created a whole so, syllabus for. So, that. so what what go, what's some of the work and some of the concepts that go behind this? So I'm imagining, you know, uh, uh, you know, from from a broad glance, you're thinking about the end product. So, you know, the the coffee that people experience yeah, at the mm-hmm. wholesale cafe, you know, your own flagship cafe, um, you know. You, you, you take the mic from here. What's some of the work that goes So um, I think the biggest thing for us was initially uh, to create standards on how do we make coffee, you know, the Toby's estate way. What's, uh, what's the way we want to make coffee and we want people to make coffee. And having that really clear and making sure that everyone in the company is aligned and making sure that you would get the same answer from anybody in the company, whether it's the delivery driver, the technician, the roasting team, the, the guys in the cafe or the territory managers, I think it's insanely important to make sure that everyone's aligned on that. I gave an example of you of it in the <laughs> kitchen. And what I want to give to everyone else is that when uh, you, the Toby's released the Flavor Savers, uh, you had the Creme Brulee was the last one. Yeah. And, you know, if you, you serve both sides of it from the same extraction, if you had the espresso, it was the crust. And if you had the, the milk paste, it was the filling of the Creme Brulee. And, you know, I think I had that coffee made by five different people or given to me by five different people in whatever sort of capacity. And they all said the exact same thing. So you were very well aligned. I'm glad I'm glad that, um, you know, that that is noticed. Mm. Um, so I think that was that was the biggest uh, that was a w- the first big thing. 
then aligning everyone on how to taste coffee and how to interpret coffee and how to communicate about that internally was also really important. There's a lot of, um, you know, because a lot of people came from different roastery with different background or maybe different, well, different um, cultural background too. So realigning everybody on how you taste coffee, how you assess coffee, how you talk about it was uh, really important. So that was uh, the second part of the syllabus. And then the third part of the well syllabus and curriculum was um, getting everyone to understand the basics, the core of what coffee is. So things around, you know, what is or what what is terroir, what is origin, what is processing, the impact of varieties, what is the difference between varieties and species, and how how do all these variables and components that happen at the producing country impact the final cup? What can we expect? You know, what's the difference between a washed and a natural? How can we build expectations between different varieties? Um, all of that was part of the third syllabus. So the big focus for us was implementing that syllabus and getting everyone internally through all of that content so that we could all be singing the same song. And I think that was key because, I mean, we, Toby's has uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers around the country. Uh, I was, it was only myself and Michael Rast. Um, who Michael Rast was the New South Wales trainer and it was only basically the two of us for the whole country. I was doing all the other states basically, um, traveling every single week to a different state and Michael was looking after New South Wales. But the two of us cannot go and see every single customer each year. But our entire sales team, the territory managers, they get to see their customers every second week. The technicians get to see customers on a regular basis as well. By having everyone in the company aligned on on education and on coffee knowledge, that allows you to have more points of contact with customers and more smaller opportunities to do trainings. Training doesn't have to be, you know, four hours in a classroom. Um, so you're saying you're sort of upskilling your territory managers as well. So there's sort of, there's an element of account management. So that's the business logistics side of things. And then also a coffee. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously when you're looking after cafes, um, you know, you're, um, you're looking after their business, but also if, if something goes wrong, you know, they, you're, you're the one they're going to be calling. And this is the part of the conversation that sort of fascinates me, and particularly in an economics mindset. It's like getting the most value out of your human resources. Mm -hmm. it, was that sort of something that went into your mind as well? Um, not necessarily in that sense. I think it was more, this is, you know, if you're, um, if you're a cafe um, and you have an issue with your equipment or your coffee's not tasting good, who's the first person you call? You call your relationship manager. Or your Go, all ghostbusters, let's be, re let's yeah, be fair. Kind yeah, of. So... Um, and um, and you you want to be able to troubleshoot uh, those issues for that customer straight away. So instead of having a long loop of uh, the customer calls the territory manager, territory manager can't diagnose the problem and then calls the trainer and or the roasters or someone else in the company. It's a very it's a very long process. So instead of doing that, uh, we focused on getting the territory managers to be as knowledgeable as possible. So my, my goal was basically to take coffee knowledge, make it digestible um, and, you know, remove anything that's not useful and, and condense it into something that's easily digestible for them so that they can implement that into their daily roles. And I think it does something more than just, you know, um, showing like, you know, ena enabling you to fix those issues. From a customer point of view, if you're able to fix a machine remotely or if you're able to troubleshoot um, you know, a coffee that doesn't taste right just over the phone, I think it shows a lot of knowledge into the product. And I think, you know, in, in Australia specifically, 
a lot of cafe owners and operators see territory managers and relationship managers of coffee roasters as salespeople, and they have this sales hat and everything they recommend sounds like it's a, you know they're trying to sell you something. Whereas, what what a lot of people don't realize is that if if um, a cafe is selling more coffee, it's beneficial for the coffee roastery. So it's always a win-win situation. So your relationship manager would always want you to, you know, to get the best out of your product. They want you to be successful because if you're not successful, they're not going to be selling coffee. Mm. So uh, the big focus for us was focusing on the relationship managers so that they could be more legitimate with their customers as coffee experts, not just salespeople, and also so that they could troubleshoot things faster. I want to know how do you think what resources are there now that you think could take this sort of concept to another level and what do you think there will be available in the future to sort of improve these things and before you answer one piece of technology that I'm really fascinated by is a system called the flow telemetry system and yeah. so that's like just a, like a data harvesting sort of piece of equipment that is attached to your coffee machine. You might know better. Yeah, it's a chip that you put onto um, onto uh, onto your coffee machine, basically and, and tracks all your extractions. Yeah, and to me, it's like you know, some people listening to this might think, well, yeah, well, what does that realistically do? But you know, a big part of sort of getting that is analyzing the data and interpreting that data yeah. to make improvements on certain things. So, like, do you think that's something that most coffee roasters should implement and a lot of cafes should so have? So, it's, it's funny because we, we actually had this, this conversation internally um, about Flow. Um, so, again, Flow is, um, is a chip that you would put on a coffee machine and I can track all of your extractions, the data of all of your extractions. So, how much um, coffee, how much espresso came out, the length of your extractions, and it can calculate things like standard deviation to it shows you if it's consistent or not consistent. So that's the variance of shot to shot differences, yeah, yep, basically. Yep. So uh, you see if the barista's being consistent or not. Uh, it gives you a lot of data, and it's quite easy to analyze. Now, the, the real value lies into the analysis of the data. So you get a lot of raw data. Now, you know, being able to analyze that is, it's not impossible. Um, but the real question to make sure it's it's worth it for a coffee roaster to invest in that is what do you do with that data? So let's say you can um, you can figure out which shop is consistent with their shots, which shop's on recipe and, and most likely doing a good job and which shop is not. Um, so what that allows you to do is you can see who's, who's consistently weighing their shots and who's consistently adjusting their grind setting and you can see who's not. So you can see who are the good students and the bad students. And with the good students, well, it doesn't tell you anything. You know, they're doing a good job and and awesome. But for the ones that aren't doing a good job, that aren't um, adjusting the grind setting throughout the day and are probably not weighing their shots, so they have they have inconsistent doses uh, throughout the day. Um, well, what do you do with that? So the the software sees the data and you see who's not doing a good job. What do you do with it? And the reality is, well, you know, you can organize trainings and you can. Um, you know, you can do a session with them and you can make sure that they're, you know, try to get them to be on recipes and stuff like that. But the reason why we didn't go with it was relationships managers know that already. Mm. Territory managers know who's, you know, consistently using a scale and consistently cleaning their equipment and who's not. Mm. So, you know, the software can tell you who is doing that consistently and who is not, but we kind of knew that already. Let's say, for example, though, you were a wholesale coffee roaster that was starting out, you had a 
a reasonable amount of success by selling cheap coffee. Like I'm giving you a scenario here. Yeah. You didn't have territory managers. Yes. You and but you implemented the flow telemetry system. Could you have someone that's sort of analyzing all the data, being able to, to interpret it and being like, is this a feasible option for it a is, coffee roaster in is. the future? Yeah, I think um and and as far as I know, Starbucks does something similar because they've always been collecting a lot of data with their coffee machines and and as far as I know, you can also remotely uh, change the settings of those machines. So technically, you could just have one person in a room full of computers. Just like a matrix. Yeah, or you re- Remember that like system in Batman, um, the one with uh, Heath Ledger? Remember how he had that system at the end? Yes. Where he's like, you know, the heaps of screens and yeah, you can yeah, just yeah, control yeah. everything remotely. So yeah. you, there's a world where you could do that. Um in a, you know, in an environment where you wouldn't have a territory manager or relationship manager checking on cafes regularly, I think I could see value in that. But again, the real value is what do you do from there? I, I think I think uh, what, it's interesting you mentioned Starbucks there because companies like Starbucks and we were talking off air about Vittoria as well. They put a surprising amount of effort that people probably don't recognize into the end product. People see it as this sort of you know sort of you know subpar coffee that they would never drink, but you know, you know, if if you're looking at the coffee industry as a whole, and I'm talking global, mm-hmm. specialty is actually a very small part of it. Oh, it's uh, it's tiny, tiny. Yeah. And so, um, and so, there's a market for what is objectively lower quality coffee than specialty. And those companies that are operating in that sphere, they're very well resourced and put a very um, probably unrecognized amount of effort into you know, managing that end product. Yeah. Commentary on that, Simon. Yeah, I I agree. I think I've always been I've always been um, I mean, Starbucks is a company that I really admire, not for the you know the quality of coffee that you drink, although they do buy some really good coffees, um, but for the level of consistency they have. I mean, they have 25,000 stores around the world, and you would arguably get the same quality of coffee every single time. Yes, it, it might not be what you enjoy, but there's a lot of, I mean, it still matches the profile of coffee that a lot of people drink out there. Um, I think that's the... That's the the spiral that we get caught up into in specialty coffee. You know, we think that customers. I mean, we think that washed Kenyans taste great, but the general consumer hates this kind of coffee. That's super acidic. You know, light in body, juicy and bright. This is a kind of coffee that I love, and this is kind of the kind of coffee that you probably love. Oh. You know, floral geishas and and juicy, bright um, Ethiopian and Kenyans. Mm. The general public just really doesn't like these coffees, and it's just a niche niche minority that enjoys these coffees. And unfortunately, I mean, if you want to build a sustainable global business, you can't focus on that three to five percent market share, which is specialty coffee. You need to go a bit broader, and that's what these companies did. Um, and the fact that they managed to operate. Uh, with such a high level of consistency is honestly remarkable. All right. We've spoken a fair bit about big business and wholesale right now. Let's let's go to the other half of the uh, education sphere, which is the home barista, educating the home barista. And I want to start by asking, so online resources for people that are uh, sort of um, at home, there's... Yeah, we've probably just been through a lot the last two years, probably the biggest acceleration of home brewing, you know, you could have possibly Contents, imagined yeah. um, through because of the pandemic. But who are sort of some of uh, the top five or anyone you want to reference as like sort of the some of the best uh, sort of go to locations of resources for online coffee education right now? And uh, so can I ask you for yeah, sort of five sure. sort of uh, YouTube influencers or sort of co- online resources and then five sort of books 
but you might refer to people. Yeah, I think uh, I mean I'll probably just mention people that uh, you know have happened to um, to uh, write educational content. Um, the number one for me, like the person that I think uh, really influenced um, my vision of education and and the way that uh, you know that I want to structure education is uh, Matt Perger, Barista Hustle. Um, mm. They started, I think, maybe five, uh, probably like five years ago. And he, uh, he's probably that what put me over the edge as well. Yeah, mm. and uh, I mean, he's the first one that uh, Barista Hustle was the first website that I remember uh, put some high quality educational contents with uh, backed with a lot of research with a lot of data extremely well written and extremely meticulous um covering a, a, a huge uh, diversity and variety of topics not you know, just his, his mum was a teacher as well oh, right. and that his, his father an engineer so that's probably where you yeah. sort of get some of that from he had the brains and the sort of eloquence to trans to articulate it well you could you could see it through the website you could see it through the videos um and uh, so that that has always been my number one in terms of um coffee content educational content the one thing that i uh, have to make uh, you know if i have to say something about brewster hostel the one thing that i find um you know not necessarily ideal with the website is that i think it's it's addressed to a an audience a crowd that's Fairly well educated. I think that the tone is is maybe a little too academic. So sometimes. they could probably simplify it a bit more. I think so. I mean, that's that's my motto in 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 life and just in coffee education has has always been, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't understand it well enough. Mm. And I think, I think that there's a lot of very complex um, you know things that happen in coffee. You know, you think of roasting or you think of water chemistry. Uh, or even just coffee making. Uh, these things are, they're actually simple in appearance, but they turn out to be insanely complex. I think a lot of that could be explained a little bit more simply, in my opinion, just so that it could be accessible to more people. Well, you know, Matt's a forward-thinking guy, and Jeremy, who writes the content, will, uh, I'm hoping will be listening just to this. Thoughts, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to tell him to listen to this. So, Jeremy, if you're listening, Jem, Jem Shalander, as some of you might know him. All right, listen up. Um, all right, some Someone more. Someone else. Yeah, so um, the one person that I find does a remarkable job at making content accessible to everyone. And the it's probably the only person that, you know, my mom, my dad, my my grandparents could listen to is James Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows oh, about right. James Hoffman. Yeah, everyone knows about James. So, so but and something about James is like, yes, he's probably the most well-known coffee professional in the world yeah, nowadays. I think so, yeah. But he's also, like, you know, very genuinely talented. Yes. Yeah? Yes, I mean... Uh, as far as far well, as well I know, he's champion. yeah, of course, he's uh, insanely knowledgeable. Um, but he he makes everything sound very simple and very easy, and that's something that I truly admire and I truly enjoy about his content. It's quite refreshing. Um, something that s sometimes I find a little bit annoying is when pe people have this tendency of overcomplicating things to sound like you know to make themselves sound smarter than they are. I think. Um, whereas again, like me. <laughs> I like a lot of people and coffee is, is simple. Again, we're mixing water and coffee together. Uh, yes, it can get incredibly complex, but I, I still believe in explaining things simply or, you know, if you're trying to convey those messages to other people, it is your job to try to find, you know, ways to make it more accessible and easier to understand. And James does a fantastic job at doing that. And so his content is widely available. And I think he's done an amazing job, especially throughout the pandemic, in getting more people to make coffee at home. 
which mm. is, I mean, it's huge to get people t- to invest into brewing equipment and then therefore be buying better coffees. Like it, what he's done for the industry is is massive. And and I think something to say about him as well, and I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I've asked him, he said yes, but he was too busy at the time. So, you know, I'm not holding my imagine? breath. <laughs> uh, you know, he went on coffee for Merco, for God's sake. So surely he can come here. Uh, nah, I love Mirko. He's a good guy. Sorry, I'm. I'm actually. I was on coffee for Mirko as well, and Mirko's yeah, coming so on. Was I. <laughs> Mirko's coming on this podcast oh, as awesome. well. So didn't mean that Mirko, but still, I'm jealous. Uh, bit of hate there, but um, yeah, James was in the trenches for quite a long time with the whole YouTube thing. It's not like he just sort of stumbled into stardom. He 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 was at it for quite a while. He's yeah. got a successful coffee business as well that he's part owner of Square Mile. So mm-hmm. and he's a world booster champion on top of that. So. Yeah, it takes. I mean, sometimes it just takes a long time. To, Is the full uh, package? Yeah, to to take off. Someone else, come on, give me some more. Um, I like I like some of the stuff that Lance Hedrick. Uh, oh, does. I was happy you would yeah. say Lance next. Yeah, so um, Lance does a does a pretty good job at reviewing uh, re- reviewing equipment, especially grinders. I think he's done a pretty uh, some some pretty great videos on that, and just at creating this nice energy, great community vibe. So. Um, I really like its content. Scott Rao um, has written some uh, some interesting articles. Very opinionated, uh, mm. of course, but um, still refreshing to um, to you know read and and um, and hear some um, some high quality um, educational content out there. And um, and Jonathan Gagné, uh, Can- French Canadian um, uh, astrophysicist, who uh, got into coffee. Uh, I I kind of like his approach because obviously he's. Um, he's a true scientist. He understands science, like chemistry and physics, better than uh, be- better than you and I do. And uh, he really just approaches everything with a different set of eyes. So I find that quite interesting. And he and he still makes it relatively accessible. So I I find that really refreshing. Yeah, and you know something I say about Lance too is you know so he's I've met him twice, uh, a couple times in real life now. He's very funny. Yeah, he's a very, very funny guy. Great character, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I think what I like about it, because he's American, but he's just moved to Portugal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the way, Lance, you're coming on this podcast one day, whether whether they like it or not. Um, And, you know, he's the sandal-wearing, loves his shorts, you know, living in Portugal, but he's so good at what he does. living the dream. (laughs) Living the dream. He's trained two world Brewster champion runner-ups in a row now, so in Andrea and Morgan Aircroft, who I would also love to come on this podcast one day. Um, so yeah, you know, I just love that aura about him, but he, he does, he's got the very sort of comprehensible, yeah. um, inviting sort of sense. Let's get back more into the sort of home education sort of stuff now. So if you're a brew at home, making V60s, AeroPress, whatever, um, what's your advice and you know, what, what, what's some of the stuff that you would like to do into the future to, to sort of help them? I, I would love to, so what I've done over the years is I've, I've, created some uh, some frameworks some sort of like uh, visual frameworks to talk about the pie yeah i mean the pie i've done a pyramid i've done all sorts of different shapes mm-hmm. um but i find that visual content um and systems and structure can help people um can help people you know have a bit more methodology again i i you know i was trained to be a, a consultant in um in strategy so my my core skill is problem solving and uh, and you know, my mind, I mean, I'm I'm very much into um, into board games, card games, um, strategy games in Catan? general. Uh, yeah, I love you, any board games. Mate, really. I'll fuck I'll you up yeah. in Catan. Oh yeah, pardon the French, oh, but deal. <laughs> if, I, if I had a board game here, on. I'd play it. But yeah. you know, well, w- watch out. Yeah, let's see, let's see next time. 
But I think I think that mindset uh, forces you to have you know um, solid analytical skills and good methodology. And I think, and I also found that that was lacking in coffee uh, when I first started. I found that you know you'd see people very do ad hoc sort of thing. Would a you little say? bit, yeah. like I'd see I'd see people brew in a certain way, and I ask, okay, why did you brew this way? And it'd be like you know th- there'd be a lot of fluff, um, and I couldn't get answers. I couldn't get people telling me, yeah, I brew at that temperature because of this, and I grind at that setting because of that and i actually chose that paper filter because of this you know a lot of people haven't deep dive into those variables and that's that's totally fine but i found a lot of the time people were making up you know kind of like um, reasons why they were doing things so uh, something that i enjoy doing is creating um, frameworks methodology to help people understand certain concepts and um, and to put a bit more methodology into what they do. And w- a particularly good application of this, I, I think, uh, that you did was with Carlos Escobar, who you sort of worked with when he became the Australian Brewers Cup champion and then became fourth in the world. Yeah. And after that, you did the uh, you did a bit of a tour, which I attended. Yeah, um, it was with, fun. with my sister, who doesn't work in specialty coffee, but came along and absolutely loved it. So nowadays, whenever she comes, whenever she goes somewhere, she gauges her as so the Carlos Escobar, as she calls it, <laughs> is the best coffee she's ever had, which yeah. is the El Pereira. The one that we, we brewed at the event, yeah. Yes, yes. So the one he won the comp with and then yeah. came forth in the world with. So everything to her is like, how good is oh, it compared to the Carlos Escobar? And she doesn't call it the coffee. She calls it, <laughs> she calls the, it the Carlos Escobar. Escobar. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of like the benchmark. But you, intru- you introduced uh, some pretty interesting sort of stuff and I feel like you've refined it into one of your more recent posts which yeah. was the pie was that, would that be correct yeah so um, so most I mean most recently I've I've done uh, an update to uh, what I call the brewing pie it's a framework concept that I um, that I created probably three years ago um, that before, before you explain too much we're gonna go from we're gonna go from sort of lowest denominator to highest here so you've got You've got fifteen percent, thirty-five percent, and fifty percent intervals. Uh, I'll, I'll call it uh, of sort of a hierarchy of importance. Yeah, would, would you, yeah, would you say tier um, one, tier two, tier three? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, sorry. Continue on. Continue on with what you were saying. So the the brewing pie is essentially a, a little pie chart split into um, into three parts. Um, you know, with different uh, different percentages, different weight, um, and. This this brewing pie was designed a couple of years ago um, to sort of like create a hierarchy between different brewing variables. So for anyone who's brewed coffee at home, you've probably realized that you know if you change the water temperature, if you grind slightly differently, if you use a uh, V60 versus a Kelita, your coffee is going to taste different. But obviously, some variables are more impactful than others. So the question that I asked myself back then was what are the really impactful variables and what are the ones that are a little bit more superfluxed? What are the ones that are, have, have a lower, lesser impact? So spent, you know, years brewing coffee, making some notes, doing comparis- um, comparative tests. And then we took those concepts into competition with Carlos with his uh, regional 2019, national 2020 worlds, and then uh, another two rounds of regional and national. Um, I did the French Brewers Cup with that, the Europress, refining this content. And most recently, I've coached um, the Danish Brewers Cup champion uh, at Worlds. So we've... What was his name? Uh, Rasmus. Rasmus? Rasmus, if you're listening. We, ju- we just had some Finca Rasmus, which we'll, we'll yeah. talk about in a bit, but uh, very, very lovely. Congratulations on, on all of your success. Um, so yeah, that, that concept has been refined and, and with experience and... Um, 
with more experience, uh, I've I've been able to tweak this uh, this pie chart. So basically, I put all the most um, impactful variable into a category, which is tier one, and then I put the lesser impactful variable, the least impactful variables, into other categories. So what this suggests is that there's a whole bunch of variables that you can play with when brewing coffee, but some of them are really impactful and some of them are not so impactful. So if you have a limited amount of time available to dial in a coffee, or if you have a limited amount of coffee available, then you need to choose your battles. If you're brewing your first coffee with your go-to recipe and, and it's not tasting good at all, then maybe changing the brewer or changing the paper filter isn't going to magically make your coffee taste great. Maybe you need to consider changing one or several variables that are a lot more impactful. But if your coffee is tasting great already and you want to make, make small tweaks, then you can be looking at smaller variables to elevate it a little bit further. All right, so for, to break down the pie, you've got the f- let's start with the 15%, the smallest part of the pie. Um, type of brewer, paper filter, and drinking vessel. Yeah, so and and this ha- this would have all the miscellaneous um, variables, all the other variables that you know uh, could be like how long ago did you grind your coffee? Um, how um, you know are you pouring clockwise or anti-clockwise uh, your water? Like you know, silly silly things that you might uh, you might hear. What is the ambient temperature uh, in the room? Are you using whiskey rocks to chill your liquid um, after it's extracting? All these things have an impact onto the final cup. Now, do they have as much of an impact as your grind sitting or even the brew ratio, so the amount of coffee and the amount of water that you use? Probably not. And, um, and the way we've established this hierarchy was cha- making some tweaks and then doing blind tastings. And what we could notice is as soon as you go from, like let's say, 1 to 14 to 1 to 15 ratio with your brewing ratio, you could immediately pick the other one out. But if you're brewing with let's say, a um, ceramic uh, origami versus a plastic origami, it's a lot more difficult to pick the difference between these two cups. It's a lot more hard. It's a lot harder to triangulate these cups. So you could tell which variable has a big impact, which one have a smaller impact. So with the 15%, I've put, as an example, the type of brewer, the type of paper filter they use, the drinking vessel. These are all uh, variables that are impactful. But again, they will never make a great coffee, uh, sorry, a bad coffee taste great. So all of a sudden, if you drink from um, a thin walled glass as opposed to a thicker ceramic cup, your coffee is not magically going to taste delicious. Yes, you'll have a different perception of body. Your body is going to be a bit heavier with that thinner wall and uh, the perception of acidity is probably going to be a bit lower as well, but it's not going to make your coffee magically taste great. So... These variables are part of a um, a category called tier three, which is you know the smaller, least impactful variables. I want to know, just out of curiosity, what's your preferred brewer that you brew with? My go-to brewer would be um, a metal V60, but I'm not. I'm honestly really not fussed with the type of brewer. As much as I, I I have a million different types of brewers at home, and I love sort of like collecting them. I I would be very versatile with what I use because yes they do make a difference but I don't think it's it's impactful enough that it justifies you know uh, trying all of them when dialing in a coffee. All right. But metal V60 would be my preference. Now we're going to the next mm-hmm. slice of the pie, which is thirty five percent of said pie, and in that thirty five percent is water temperature, 
and water mineral content. Now, before I get you to explain <laughs> yourself here, I want to tell a story about, um, and, and it might even challenge you on the importance. Maybe the water mineral content should could be, be higher in the 50, than that. Could yeah. be higher. Could yeah. be in the 50%. Because I'll justify that. Now, I am someone who has a vast array of coffees to choose from, a vast selection to choose from at any one time. Now, this is Sub-Zero Coffee for a reason. We chill coffee on demand, uh, sort of over the over whatever period of time, and we have it available to us at all times. And so I would like to think that I uh, drink, possess, brew well, you know, yeah, a sizable collection of coffee. But I had an experience this year where uh, a certain gentleman who we've referenced in the last 10 minutes, Mr. Carlos Escobar, messaged me and said, Kirk, you know, I'm preparing for the Australian Brewers Cup Championship. I need to calibrate myself uh, with my coffee compared to some other coffees. He's, he said, well, you know, I understand you've probably got a decent amount of some good stuff at the moment. Could you come see me with some coffees? I said, yeah. So I took him, you know, three of the best, three doses of the best of the best that I had at the time. And we brewed them all. And, you know, like I said, I was very proud of the job that I had done with these coffees. I thought, yeah, this is great. They're going to do really well at the pop-up. Cannot wait to serve them. You know, it's just, it's, it's, I can't believe I get to drink it at home. But then Carlos made it with different water. And I could not believe, I mean, mind you, he had a different grind setting as well because he's using the, the, the Kino, which mm. we'll touch on in a sec. But I could not believe how good Coming of a job. They were, they were twice <laughs> the coffees. And they were, like you could almost mistake them yeah. for different coffees as well. The best example was I had a Finker Hartman Natural Geisha roasted by Matt Winton uh, of Rose mm -hmm. Coffee, uh, who, you know, former World Brewers Cup champion. Delicious coffee. I made it at home, tasted quite berry-like, very juicy, quite sweet. Carlos made it. It was berry like, but then Intense. the florals were just woo. Mm -hmm. It was, it was honestly two times better. Yeah, it was a ninety point coffee that to me was two two times better. Um, talk me through it. The water, the and and water was a big part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, filter coffee is ninety eight point five percent water. So you'd imagine that water is important. In, uh, in this category, I've put water temperature, water mineral contents. Uh, I'll touch on water temperature first because water mineral content is... is fin finish it a high uh, crescendo. We could spend, I could spend seven days talking about that. But uh, water temperature is, I think, a variable that uh, people overlook a lot of the time. Um, we, we find that it's um, obviously... It's, it's one of the variables that is the most important. Uh, it makes a huge difference whether you brew at 90 or 92 degrees. Obviously, the hotter the water, the more uh, compounds are you, you're going to be able to dissolve into water. That being said, they're not always desirable compounds. So usually... Would you, would you classify hot water in this case as a solvent? Yeah, I mean, because water, when water is a solvent, and the yeah. hotter the water, the more the, well, the, the higher the capacity to dissolve, basically. Yeah, because when when I've taught baristas, I've always sort of made the distinction that water is a, is a solvent. Yeah, and the higher the temperature, the more it will dissolve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, but the higher doesn't necessarily mean the better, and because not everything in coffee is desirable. So uh, choosing your water temperature carefully is important in order to mitigate certain flavors that you don't want. So because because when you're brewing, what you're essentially doing is you're selecting and highlighting specific attributes of the coffee and you're also hiding other attributes that you may not want. So in some coffees, it could be, you know, because of the roast profile, it could be roasty attributes. 
And with other coffees, it could be sort of like fermentation, umami, savory notes that you're trying to hide. Uh, a high water temperature would highlight more of the entire spectrum of flavors and spectrum of the profile of the coffee. So with those you know, heavily fermented coffees or with darker roasts, you probably want to go a little bit, li- um, little bit lower in water temperature to be able to mitigate that. So water temperature is super important in that sense. Water mineral contents. Ugh. How much time do we have? Ugh. Right, Mark's yours. All right. So water mineral content is... Um, what, so w- um, minerals in brewed water is what seasoning is to food into a dish, basically. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, so uh, that's my... F- I mean, that's, it's, it's been my favorite way to, to explain it. Water mineral content is something that I've been playing with and researching for maybe the last uh, four years. And I've spent we've spent a lot of time on it. And it's been, I think, key to some of the results that we've had in competition and to the competitive advantage that we may have had. So with... With um with water mineral contents, what happens is each each coffee di- basically uh, requires a different mineral composition. It's like every single dish requires a different type of seasoning, and you want what I try to do in cooking, or what most chefs try to do in cooking, is you're trying to maximize each seasoning component that you have to its its maximum. So you put salt until it becomes too salty. So you put the maximum of salt until you reach the maximum. Um, and you do the same thing with black pepper and you do the same thing with lemon or, or vinegar or any or chili or everything you want until it becomes undi- until it creates an undesirable experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no. I, I had a bit of an incident at home where I was trying to read chili. Well, no, no, I tried to recreate your water recipe. Oh, right. You know, I've been I've been trying for a while. Because uh, Carlos wouldn't really reveal it to ah. me, <laughs> and you know I've been chasing it ever since, and not really had the sex. Because if you go too hard with say the calcium, yeah, uh, the calcium chloride is the chemical you need to look for. Um, it, it can taste quite mushroomy, the water or something like that. If you go too hard, yeah, or uh, or quite salty, or it can give you those like mm. swimming pool, like dirty swimming pool vibes. Yeah, ah. so that's uh, it, so it takes us to something interesting. So. The the biggest issue, the biggest common, um, the m- most common mistake that I see when people talk about water is they talk about one specific iron, or they they will refer to it as I add magnesium, I add calcium, I add potassium to my water, or sodium, whatever. You cannot just add magnesium to your water. Magnesium always comes fr- uh, comes with um, something else. So magnesium, and I don't want to sound too geeky, but I'll I'll have to be a little bit, but. Uh, magnesium is a positively charged iron and it needs to be bound to a negatively uh, negatively charged iron uh, to be basically uh, stable, especially when solid. So magnesium always comes with something negative. So it's either chloride or it's either sulfate or it could be citrate uh, or it could be a whole uh, other bunch of stuff. The main three magnesiums that you find in water or in coffee brewing water are magnesium sulfate, magnesium chloride, magnesium citrate, citrates. I don't know how you pronounce it in English. <laughs> Anyways, when when you're making water for coffee, your mag- magnesium itself is going to taste very, very good. And that's what creates the florals. That's what highlights the fruit notes. That's what you know intensifies your tropicals and your citruses. But the um, the um, an ion, the negatively charged ion that's bound to it, so sulfate or chloride, they don't necessarily taste very good on their own. So your threshold, your ceiling for 
for magnesium is actually quite high. You can add a lot of magnesium into your water, but you can't add too much sulfate or you can't add too much chloride because if you add too much chloride, you're going to get this sort of like fungi, um, you know, um, swimming pool, salty kind of vibe into your water and that's not necessarily desirable. But if you blend that with sulfates, if you do, you know, 50% sulfate, 50% chloride, you mitigate the negatives of the anion. You mitigate the negatives of the chloride and you mitigate the negatives of the sulfate. Because sulfate in high concentration tastes a little bit medicinal. It tastes quite bitter as well. Um, it can highlight florals and it does a very good job at that. But the sulfate parts can taste quite uh, bitter at high concentrations. So if someone wants to sort of go buy magnesium to sort of help create their water at mm-hmm. home, what, what, what's the product they're looking for at the supermarket? You, you need to, you need to. I mean, if you want to get the maximum out of magnesium itself, you need to buy different types. You need to get magnesium chloride and you need to get magnesium sulfate. Magnesium sulfate can be bought at the supermarket under Epsom salts. Um, however, I think, th- to be honest, the easiest thing to do is just to buy everything on eBay. Buy food-grade minerals on eBay, and they're cheap and they're accessible, or on Amazon, and uh, everything, you know, you can literally buy everything from the same vendor. So um, you should buy you should buy different types um, so that you can increase the amount of magnesium that you put, uh, but while mitigating the negative effects of the other iron. And magnesium on the periodic table is represented as what, MG? MG, yeah. Okay. MG. MGCL and MGSO4 for sulfates. Oh, God. Jeez, you're an intelligent guy. Like, uh, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I cherry pick throughout my career, you know, in coffee and, you know, try and make the best of what whatever. But you are a genuinely smart guy. I'm blushing right now. Oh. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So we, we, are, are you satisfied with the amount of content you've produced here on cal- uh, magnesium? or is it I'll, got some I'll add, uh, yeah, on, on magnesium. So I'll add a few more things. Um, the other minerals that you want to be looking at are probably calcium um, and you can use calcium sulfate or calcium chloride calcium sulfate is not very soluble in water so um, I usually use calcium chloride because my threshold for uh, the the maximum amount of chloride uh, is higher than the maximum amount of sulfate so um, I'd rather add calcium chloride and then the last ones that you want to be adding are your bicarbonates so what's the role of bicarbonate in all this? Uh, sorry, what's the ro- so you've you've spoken about sort of okay. So magnesium, they highlights magnesium highlights your uh, floral and fruity notes in coffee. And calcium, calcium highlights body and sweetness. Calcium okay. is going to create richness. It's going to create creaminess. It's going to bring this lactic quality to coffee. And buffer, so buffer known as bicarbonates uh, is going to control and reduce your acidity. So the, the only way to impact the acidity in coffee is to add carbonate ions. So under the form of, uh, you know, you can add calcium carbonate or you can add um, uh, your potassium bicarbonate or sodium bicarbonate, which is the most common uh, buffers. So they allow you to reduce the intensity of acidity, but also to bring structure to the cup. Usually when you bring a coffee, when you drink your filter coffee, as the coffee cools down, it becomes quite acidic. The acidity usually goes up as the coffee cools down. It's it's a pretty common pattern. And if you don't have enough bicarbonates, usually that acidity can get out of control and it can create a really sharp, unbalanced experience. So you need some bicarbonate to control the intensity of the acidity while providing structure. Structure in coffee is the 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 harmony between taste balance and the tactile components. So just to make everything harmonious, you need some of that. Now 
if you add only potassium bicarbonate, you're only going to get the benefits of potassium, but not necessarily the, so the benefits of um, so, uh, sodium. So you can add two types of bicarbonate, potassium bicarbonate or sodium bicarbonate. And I would recommend blending the two together so that you can get the benefits of both potassium and sodium. What's the, is there a minor difference between the two that there you distinguish? De yeah, de definitely. So sodium, sodium, we know it under sodium chloride, which is table salt. And in cooking, it's highly desirable because it elevates the flavor intensity, it increases sweetness, and it reduces bitterness. Now, sodium bicarbonate doesn't have the, the chloride ions to it, but because we're using magnesium chloride and, sodium, uh, and uh, calcium chloride, we're going to find those chloride ions already in our water. So basically, we're going to recreate salt by adding uh, sodium bicarbonate. That's going to elevate flavor intensity. It's going to bring that slight brightness that you can get as well from salt. And it's going to uh, also bring this sort of like mouth-watering um, acidity that you can get in coffee while providing texture. Potassium, on the other hand, is going to bring really heavy, rounder, sweeter tones. It's going to round your coffee. It's going to bring those like high-quality chocolates, high-quality caramel, and it's going to make everything a lot more rounder and muted and less, you know, less crazy, less sparkling, less uh, less bright than sodium. So finding a balance between the two is super important. You know, it's so funny when we talk about this because I can view everything here we've just spoken about through the coffee lens, but also through the pool chemical lens. Because last year I was working at a pool chemical factory. I remember that. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I used to vent about it to you a lot. So, you know, it fell on tough times during COVID. I worked at a factory driving forklifts, packing pool chemicals, but... It's interesting you say this because, like, I, I can't really speak for magnesiums as such, but the role that calcium uh, chloride plays in uh, pool chemicals pools. is to add hardness. Uh, so it adds sort of density. And the way that uh, sort of bicarbonate interacts is to lower the level of acidity or pH. Yeah. Um, and so if you're, say, the hydrochloric acid is, uh, is a chemical that's used in pools. And if you're having a chemical reaction or a chemical fire, something you can do is actually to pour bicarbonate onto it to sort of neutralize it. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah so... Um, and <laughs> Good to know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So hydrochloric acid, very, very soluble chemical. Do not touch it. If you sniff it, it'll burn your nostrils. So don't go don't near it. Don't try this at home. Yeah, don't try this at home. Um, but, you know, and, and sodium bicarbonate, by the way, it's just like baking soda available. Yeah, to you, can buy, uh, you can buy it at the supermarket, yeah. Potassium bicarbonate, a bit harder to get your hands on. Uh, Amazon, eBay. Yeah, okay, like well. Fairly, fairly straightforward. Like okay. But ha you, you will get food grade quality, uh, which is a less pure version. It's uh, safe for consumption. However, there's different grades of, uh, of quality, different uh, levels of purity. And potassium bicarbonate industry application is most commonly in wine, is it? I have, I honestly have no idea. Okay, to yeah. be honest, like when when we talk about this is why, like I bring this, um, I try to have this sensory based um, application to water rather than sign like, like rather than sign based. I use uh, minerals in water to, you know, as seasoning for a dish. So I taste the coffee and I go, I want more acidity, so I reduce bicarbonate. I reduce like one type of bicarbonate. I go, I want more body. I think the coffee can be a bit heavier. I'll add a little bit of calcium. And when I want less florals, but I want more tropicals, for example, I'll change my ratio of magnesium chloride to magnesium sulfate. I really couldn't care less about the hardness. I couldn't care less about the alkalinity because all that matters to me personally is how the coffee is tasting. So I find that 
I mean, I heavily rely on numbers for a certain um, number of other things. But for water, I find that really impractical. And I think that you should be a lot more driven by the impact of each individual mineral and each individual iron and just basically taste coffee and see like what you want more of and what you want less of and just tweak it based on that. If you want a good book to read on this, by the way, Water for Coffee by Maxwell Colonna Dashwood yep. and Christopher Dr. Christopher Hendon uh, is a great place to start. Very tough read. You know, you probably have to leave it, read it two or three times. And hard to, to find as well. Hard like, to find yeah, nowadays. But, nowadays yeah. um, but I think they're working on a revised model. Last time I knew they were. But anyway, that's a great book. Shout out to Dr. For Christopher Hendon and to Maxwell Colonna Dashwood, who have both been on this on podcast. podcast yeah. You can listen to that if you want to. Scroll back. Um, yeah, truly insightful. Let's. Uh, we haven't even got to the biggest part the of the biggest pie. part. Yeah, the most important part. All right, let's go on to it now. Fifty percent brew ratio, grind setting, and pouring pattern. Now that last part, I'm going to get you to finish on because I've got my own questions to ask yeah. about that. But <laughs> right, so let's go ahead. So what I found is when brewing coffee, there's there's definitely three variables that really have this huge impact. And again, water mineral content has a massive impact. And you said yourself, you couldn't. You know, you would have mistaken those coffees for others with, with uh, water mineral composition, because that was a drastic change to do water compared to probably what you were used to. Um, we, you know, if you were to change the grind setting from something that's medium or medium fine to something that's coarse, you wouldn't recognize the coffee either. Grind setting is massive in the way that it, you know in its impact onto the final cup. Right, and so we've all it, kind of experienced that. If you're looking at this from a sort of, it, let's call it a sphere of importance, you know, fifty mm-hmm. percent is grind, uh, is fine grind, fifty percent is coarse grind. Yeah. What are you likely to find from a fine grind, and what are you likely to find from a more coarse grind? So usually with uh, fine grind setting, you get intensity, you get intensity of flavors, and you get body intensity. The negatives, though, will be that you lose in quality of acidity and the texture, the tactile, is compromised. So usually you, you're more likely to get dryness, you're more likely to get astringency, you're more likely to get this rougher aftertaste and this lower quality of acidity. With coarse grind sitting, well, obviously, you're going to extract less with a coarse grind sitting, but you get this very refined, integrated acidity, you get this beautiful, silky, um, velvety texture, and you get high clarity of flavors, but you don't have intensity. So that's kind of the issue with this too. However, for example, you could fix the intensity that you, you're, you know, for example, missing out of a coarse grind setting by reducing the brew ratio to create to give a you know to get um, a higher strength in your cup, or to increase your um, to the, the number of pours in your uh, pouring pattern. So. You know that leaves uh, that leads us to the two other variables in that same uh, tier one category of variables. So grind setting super important, uh, and this is what you can expect from coarse versus fine grind setting. Brew ratio. Brew ratio. This this obviously has a big relation to strength. Yep. Yeah. So uh, brew ratio is amount of coffee divided by amount of water. So how much coffee do you use compared to how much water you use? Um, the you know, I the way I explain this to non-coffee people is think of this as gin and tonic. Coffee is your gin and water is your tonic. If you add more tonic, you have a weaker gin and tonic. And if you add more gin, you have a stronger gin and tonic. So it's as simple as that. The more well, I use cordial myself, you know. Ah, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, I mean, it's a very simple to understand um, variable. The more coffee you use, the stronger the cup is going to be. So... Um, 
and and the more water you use, the weaker your cup is going to be. And it's quite impressive to see how a you know tradition like I think one to fifteen is the commonly accepted brew ratio in um, in in pour over in filter coffee. Probably universally the most used, yeah. Probably, yeah. And one to two ish is what uh, people seem to be using in espresso um, the most. What you'll notice is yeah, there's a massive, massive change whether you do a one to fourteen and one to fifteen. Like you wouldn't recognize these two cups just by adding, you know, an extra 15, 20 grams of water into one of the two coffees. It changes drastically, very quickly. All right. Which is why I've put it into that tier one. Now. Pouring pattern. Pouring pattern. Because this is probably the most ambiguous of them all. It's like, what science is there to validate what a pouring pattern does? And But I can speak to the impact it has on a cup because, you know, I, I had an experience on the weekend where I was uh, went to Path Coffee in Melbourne. So oh, yeah. So You're doing a great job there. Doing a great job there. Um, and uh, uh, his name's Josh, formerly head brewster at uh, Manchester Press in Melbourne. But they do exclusively black coffee. And it kind of shows because the quality of their coffee is uh, unbelievable. Um, and I had a coffee there where it was a um, it was a Castillo under the Neighbors and Crops program by mm-hmm. La Palma, yeah. and it kind of smelled a bit like body odor. Like didn't smell <laughs> didn't smell that great. But then he brewed it and was like this sort of I don't know ruby grapefruit lime. You know, really really brilliant cup of coffee. And he was telling me that sort of. He uses a more aggressive pour with yeah. with with those sort of heavy ferments. Is that something that you've done in the past? And so I think maybe pouring pattern is not the maybe there's, there's there might be some misunderstanding in in that pouring pattern. Maybe I should have rephrased it as pouring structure, because when I say pouring pattern, pouring structure is let's say you're using twenty grams of coffee and you're going to be using three three hundred grams of water. Your classic one to fifteen ratio. What I call pouring pattern is how are you going to dispense that water? So are you going to drop all 300 grams of water at once or are you going to do it in two, two times 150 grams or are you going to do it in four times 75 grams or are you going to do you know five times 60 grams? So what is going to be your pouring structure? What is your going to be your pouring pattern? And obviously the more pours that you're going to do, the stronger the cup is going to be. Why is that? Because every single time you pour water onto a dry bed of coffee or a bed that's fully drained, you're creating more agitation to this bread and more agitation leads to higher extractions. Also, using fresh water each time is a better solvent, more efficient at dissolving solids. So you it leads also to higher extractions. So the more pours you do with the, amount of sa- the same amount of water that you have, the stronger the cup is going to be. Now, you, if you were pouring more aggressively with your kettle, like you know, a higher flow rate, um, that would also result in higher extractions. So, however, I find that this is a variable. It's quite, uh, I guess, it would flow rate would go into this um, into this one um, variable, but I find it quite challenging to control and to be consistent with it. And also, if you're using a fellow kettle out there, um, the restrictor in the gooseneck is quite small and therefore you, you know there's not only so much there's only so fast that you can pour do you think they have sort of an unfair monopoly on sort of kettles that are used at home like i don't want to sort of take shots of them or feel like i'm being critical of them but like they do, do. they're yeah. sort of they're recognized as the the go-to kettle they they, they make uh, i mean they probably make the best kettle on the market right now um but i think it's a great home kettle uh, but i would love to see more professional kettle because i don't think they're as um, you know, if you br- if you make two, three, four coffees a day, like you and I do, 
they're not very durable, unfortunately. Do you think this spot on the market, and I've, I've thought about this and I probably shouldn't say it, but, you know, <laughs> because it's a great idea, but what if there was a kettle that had multiple sort of uh, different, f- you could adjust flow the rates. flow rate. Yeah, you know, you know, could you be c- interesting. You, know, you could dial it from one to four sort of thing. You've got max speed and then slower speed. Yep. I think that would be that'd be interesting. Can I someone go out there and make it, please? <laughs> that'd be that'd be very uh, that'd be very cool. I think the the durability for me is the the main uh, the main issue with these. I I feel like every year and a half I have to to change my kettles. Yeah, see my uh, my fellow kettle. It's it's the nozzle on the fellow. The, you know the adjuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, you know it's great. Yeah, the, the I saw it was a bit stuck with yours. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> just like uh, you know I don't even think there's anything I did. But anyway, if you want to send me a free one, fellow. Go ahead. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, did I answer your question about pouring pattern? Well, I think so. Like, I mean, you know, what, what, like, say for example, you go. Uh, uh, let's talk while we're on the subject. You know, yeah. a faster flowing pour versus a slower mm-hmm. flowing pour. What's going to be the difference you experience in the cup? Obviously, like uh, a higher strength with the the faster one because it creates more agitation. Your coffee particles are flying everywhere. There's they're agitated a little bit more so that leads to high extractions. My issue with those high like more aggressive high flow rate pores is that your fine particles are going to be in motion a lot more. So the fines are going to move sort of like all around the place. And that leads to astringency, dryness and sometimes bitterness and the lack of clarity in the cup. So I'm not always and for for what I look for in the cup, I'm not always the biggest fan of of that style. But again, it it always comes down to what coffee you're working with and where you want to end at, um, you know, in the final cup. And I'm I have a very specific idea of what I want in the, in a cup of coffee. I want brightness. I want high acidity. But I want uh, I also want this clean, very refined, silky, and round texture. Texture to me, the tactile component in coffee is one of the most important thing. That and acidity are the two things I don't want to compromise. I'm happy to compromise on aromatics and flavors, but tactile and acidity, I don't. What uh, in for tactile specifically? Mm-hmm. What is the element within the whole brewing pie that has the most weight in terms of that? And if I were to take a guess, would it be brew ratio and some of the minerals? I think the each that's the hard thing with with coffee brewing variables compared to cooking everything you do if you change your grind setting it'll have an impact on taste balance it'll have an impact on aromatics and it'll have an impact on um, the tactile everything you do doesn't impact just one thing the only variable that can have a much more focused and precise impact is water minerals which is why for competition we always spend a lot of time dialing in down to the single ppm of each mineral because it has a very precise impact. So to go back to each uh, variable, a finer grind setting is going to have, you know, it's going to bring this heavier body, but it's also going to bring this bring this drier texture. A more aggressive pouring pattern is, uh, sorry, um, multiple pours is going to bring a heavier body, but also more structure. If you look at uh, water mineral contents, uh, calcium is going to bring more richness and more creaminess, but then uh, sodium is going to bring this mouthwatering, sparkling. Uh, quality to your cup. Um, water temperature, the higher, the, the hotter the water temperature, the drier, the more astringent your cup is going to be. So everything impacts the cup. If you look at, I did a um, comparative test of origamis, uh, you know, plastic versus ceramic a couple of weeks ago uh, that you can read on brewmethods.com.au. 
He's been on this podcast as well. Yeah, Shout out to Julian Markovic. He's uh, having the best time in Europe right now on holidays. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, even the type of brew, the type of material that you use is going to impact coffee. We found that we had consistently heavier bodies uh, and like rounder, uh, rounder, heavier bodies with the ceramic uh, version compared to the plastic. And the plastic origami was giving us this sort of like juicier, uh, more acidic profile. So everything that you do is going to have an impact on tactile, if that answers your question. It Just does. different in a different way and in a different um in a different intensity. All right, if you're listening at home, just sort of shake your arms, shake your legs. We're going to refresh for this last sort of segment of the podcast. We have, that was, that was pretty dense. Yeah, you know, that was, that was quite <laughs> dense. You know, the frustrating thing about coffee is like there's so many different things that impact it. Whereas, we're, say for example, we're drinking a glass of wine right now and, you know, you, you can pop the bottle and you can get more or less the same experience, yeah. you know, from wherever you are in the world. Whereas with coffee, it's just like, oh, wherever you make it's different. You know, the equipment you use, the temperature, blah, 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 blah. It's insanely hard to be consistent. Oh, so don't beat yourself up at home if you're making bad coffee for whatever reason because, you know, it's it's easy to do. We all do it. All right, so we're going to finish on a bit of, you know, a personal Simon note. What's the f- What does the future have in store for Simon? I'm going to I'm gonna give everyone a sneak peek and, you know, sort of cut, cut to the chase here as well. You've just started working well, – you, you know, your first day is officially today, public holiday in Victoria we're observing, of course, Melbourne Cup Day. Um, you're about to start working for Zest Coffee. Mm-hmm, Zest talk, Specialty Coffee. Talk me through it. So, yeah, I'm uh, starting a new role at Zest uh, Specialty Coffee tomorrow. Um, I'm still going to be doing trainings and education and creating content, and uh, I'll be leading the whole competition, um, you know, program for Zest. Um so yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the next step for me. Still going to be education. Um, there's going to be more projects at Origin, a bit more travel internationally. Oh. That's going to be, I think, the the next thing. Uh, the next thing for me. I've spent I spent a lot of time in brewing, and I feel like, of course, you can always learn more about about brewing, etc. But I feel like. I've got my head around brewing and understanding the individual variables like quite well. You're an accomplished guy. Well, with brewing, I feel quite confident with that. However, yeah, obviously, like I'm now spending a bit more time on roasting to try to understand that. And then the next missing piece will be getting this better understanding of whatever happens at origin. So variety, terroir, and processing. So that's what's what's next. And... um, and hopefully I'll get, um, I mean, for surely I'll make more time to uh, to more consistently publish articles and create content um, in the future and to share some of those findings. Will you share the all-important water recipe, the Carlos Escobar water recipe? Because I'm dying for it, yeah, man. Yeah, of you, course, you, yeah. You just what make, do you, wa- you, you want to know? <laughs> I want to know the, I want to know that specific water recipe All so right. I can just... So I'm, I'm, I wasn't there on that day, so... Um, but I can give you I can give you some rough rough numbers around what is the go to water recipe that I would go for. I mean, are, are I you made your water just um, just earlier today. Are you, you going to reveal right now? Yeah, I can. Uh, okay, all right. So yeah, if you're I'm at right. home, if you're at home, <laughs> get your pen and paper out, get your iPhone notes out. Simon's about to give you a hell of a water recipe. Go. So again, again, this is this would be my go to water recipe, and then depending on the coffee that I have that I'm working with, and depending on where I want to go, I would tweak that. But the base water recipe would be um, 80 ppm of magnesium, which is a split of uh, magnesium chloride, magnesium sulfate, starting with 50 p- 
ppm of magnesium chloride and 30 ppm of magnesium sulfate. All right, so if you're making this at home, what do you do? Oof. Come on, Oof. we're all about simplifying things here. So y- you dissolve... You you need to make stocks with all the minerals. You could you could like di- concentrate. Yeah, you need to make concentrates. So you need to make uh, to be precise enough. You could dissolve your minerals into uh, into one liter, but we're talking about such tiny quantities that you will never be able to be uh, accurate enough. So the easiest way to I mean not the easiest way, but the most accurate way to do it is make mineral concentrate, make mineral stocks, and you want your stocks to be one thousand ppm so that for every gram of that concentrate that you use, you're basically adding one ppm of that solution. So the easiest way to make those concentrates is to find out the molar mass of each mineral and basically dilute that amount into one liter of water. So if you look at magnesium chloride, the molar mass is, uh, I think, 178 grams per mole. So that means that if you dissolve 1.78 grams of magnesium chloride into one liter of water, you'll get a 1,000 ppm concentration. 1.78 grams? I think so. Uh, yeah. Don't quote me on that, but I think uh, I think so. And uh, for um, magnesium sulfates, it should be around 3.22, and magnesium uh, and calcium chloride should be like 137, something along those lines. 1.37 or 137? 1.37. 1.37 yeah. 1. grams. The molar yeah. mass is 137 grams per mole. But what you need to dissolve is 1.37 to get 1,000 ppm. What does molar mass mean? Uh, it's the quantity of um, it's the uh, basically the the mass of a specific amount of quantity of matter. Okay, so and and then now I think is it magnesium we got to finish on now? So yeah, so 80 ppm of magnesium, 50 ppm of uh, magnesium chloride, 30 ppm of magnesium sulfate. Then 30 ppm of calcium chloride. Um, again, if you put too much calcium, you can go higher if you, depending on the coffee. But if you go too high, you'll get this chalky, flat uh, cup of coffee. And I'm, I'm, mind you, I'm trying. I'm, tomorrow, I'm going to be making, making a brew using this. So you what, tell me if it works. Yeah. So what? So what's your the, to make the concentrate of calcium? What do you need? One uh, point. Um, it depends on the purity of yours, but with mine, at uh, lab grade uh, quality, I, I need uh, 1.31. I think if you're using food grade, you might need a little bit more because it's less, it's less pure and you might need 1.47. Uh, we okay. can check with you uh, after. All right, so you should have been writing those yeah. down at home, folks, and then, Not you know... Too late. Okay, and then you make the concentrate and then you add the part, so then a gram... So Once then, then you con- what, to get 30 ppm of that 1,000 uh, ppm concentrate, you just take 30 grams of it. So Excellent. it makes it super simple. And the last two would be the bicarbonates. So ah, yes. potassium bicarbonates, usually very small amounts, uh, usually 4 ppm to start. Um, and your sodium bicarbonates, 6 ppm to start. I usually rarely go above 10 ppm of total bicarbonates. I've seen... Uh, I've seen a few people recommending crazy high numbers such as like 20, 30, 40 ppm of bicarbonates. If you do that, your coffees are going to be flat and they're going to have they're going to be depleted from all acidity and they're going to be extremely boring. So, Barista Hustle, if you're listening, you need to change your water recipe. Oh, bring down shots the, fired. Bring down the please pl- bring down the um, the the bicarbonates recommendation for brewing water because 40 ppm is way too much. So start lower with uh, bicarbonates. Start at maybe, you know, 10, you know, 8 to, fift- to 15 in total. That's usually the ceiling. Above that, you'll kill any form of acidity that you have in coffee. Well, they're pretty forward-thinking guys, I'm sure. That, and, you know, I mind mean, you, that was probably made I'm five years teasing. ago. So yeah, no, no, just but, teasing there. No, but Jen, listen, revise it. Come on. 
All right. So, final, you know, final few questions. What's in? What's on uh, that you haven't mentioned yet? What, what else is on in the future? You're gonna do Brewers Cup again. You're gonna, you know, what's going on for Simon? Yeah. So there's gonna be. Um, so I'll compete in Brewers Cup uh, again this year. I'm gonna compete in Australia. I'm not going to travel with friends this wow. time. I'll compete in Australia. And it's uh, a stacked competition here. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's quite impressive to be honest. Mm. Uh, so I'll be doing Brewers Cup in Australia. I'll still be coaching a few people. I think I really enjoy this this whole coaching part. Uh, you know, probably just as much as competing. I think it's really. Uh, I find it uh, admirable to um, to help people like get the most out of themselves. Mm something that I truly enjoy and I think it goes back to a whole education loop. So coaching is something I enjoy and I'll be doing more of that. And hopefully, hopefully, coffee in good spirits. Coffee in good spirits? Yeah, it's okay. something, I think it's something that's a little bit more lighthearted, it's a bit more fun and, you know, I like coffee and I, I like booze, so why not? You'll be taking on Danny Wilson. Uh, Danny Wilson's got the crown for that for the oh, last yeah, three or four yeah, years yeah. running. He's, so. um, yeah, he's a tough competitor. Okay, so, so you know. Yeah, so that could be fun. Okay, all right. So yeah, so there's gonna be more of that, and um, and again, uh, and more just more coaching. Um, and I think, again, I take coffee competition as an opportunity to grow and learn about coffee. And I I view it. You know, I think coffee competition is for coffee roasters. What Formula One is for car manufacturers. It's a way to make discoveries, do research and development, take some lessons, and and then implement that into your other everyday products. But it's also you know a marketing exercise. I so can't. I can't. There's gonna be more of that. I can't stress enough how good the quality of competition here is in Australia for Brewers Cup oh, right now. It's mental. Like, I mean, know. even in Barista, I think the finals this year in Brewers Cup is, is close to, you know, the top 12 in, in the world. Like, you could have all six competitors in Australia and, like, in the Australian finals and, you know, they could probably all be in top 12 at Worlds. And someone who didn't even make the top six, Devin Long, who's usually always a feature in there, is, you know, it just goes to show how far the competition's yeah, come. How stacked the, the level was, yeah. And he's, like, one of the best brewers ever. Yeah. I mean, he won Australia twice. So, mm. like, it's 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 scary, honestly. So, yeah. But it's exciting. Mm. Well, Simon, I think I've asked you all the questions I've pretty much got in my repertoire right now. But I've got one more. Shoot. What are your concluding remarks for you've, you've been on the Sub Zero podcast for an hour and 40 minutes now? Hour and 41. One. Yeah, the time flies when you're having fun. What is the last thing you want to say to the Sub Zero listener? Maybe something, you know, uh, I would love for people to reach out if they wanted tips around brewing and if they wanted to start making coffee at home. This is something that I'm going to try to push in the next couple of years. I, I strongly believe that everyone should be making coffee at home. Um, as much as I love cafes and I love going to cafes, I think co making coffee at home, making good coffee at home is not that difficult. It just requires skills and methodology and a little bit of technique. But I hope that I can encourage people and help people make coffee at home. So if you're listening to this, um, you know, feel free to reach out on social media, on Instagram, if you want tips around brewing. Mm. And I'll be posting uh, more content around you know, brewing coffee at home and just brewing in general and coffee in general in uh, in the future. So hopefully, um, you know, that inspires you to make more coffee at home and feel free to reach out. Well, Simon Gotharin, you're a generous wealth of knowledge. And I think this this has a really been a really insightful podcast. I've been trying to get you on for a long time, haven't I? And yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad it finally happened. And I'm glad it finally happened too. I've been trying to get you and Carlos Escobar mm -hmm. at the same time. And Carlos is long one. <laughs> here then and everywhere. So we'll get him later. But uh 
you know, it's been, uh, you know, it's kind of been like a bucket list podcast. So it's, you know, so grateful it's finally happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to have you in my home. You no, know, it's awesome. Yeah, no, we've spent the whole day drinking great coffees and now uh, drinking nice wine. So no, thanks a lot for for uh, having me. That's and you stu- you stumbled into my sort of cooking of chili. So I'm cooking up one hell of a chili in there, and uh, you looks know, tasty. It does, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to having some of that later. But mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, and I think uh, this podcast has been. Anyone could listen to this and take a di- something out of it. So you know, it's been thanks, Kirk. And yeah. you know, the the, w- the flow of speech <laughs> as well. I'm, you know, the, this this has been excellent. So you're you're a natural podcaster, mate. Thanks, man. All right. Well, on that note, I'm gonna sign off. Thank you to everyone who has listened in. Uh, I hope you learned something too. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you stay cool. <laughs>